0: Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done.
1: The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. and Bloomberg's world headquarters in New York. And
0: I'm Ed Ludlow also in New York. This is
1: Bloomberg Technology. Coming up all in on AI, artificial intelligence is emerging as the next big investment in Silicon Valley. That's as Microsoft weighs a $10 billion investment in the chat GPT creator.
0: But crypto continues to make headlines with Coinbase announcing layoffs and Cameron Winklevoss pushing for the ouster of DCG CEO Barry Silbert.
1: And a lackluster launch from Virgin Orbit puts on a dent. Into England's first-ever space launch. And let's dig into that so much more, Ed, because it was the talk of the town, the talk of the world. There's all eyes on whether Microsoft would put such an enormous chunk of change to work when it comes to chat GPT. Let's talk about it with Bloomberg Intelligence, Anurag Rana. Anurag, just talk us through why Microsoft would put such a significant amount of money, yes, distributed over several years. Why go into this? Is it all about Bing?
2: No, oh, no, not just about Bing. I think it's about every product that they have. You know, I would say that you know everybody has been talking about AI for over a decade. We've heard Watson, but I think this investment shows that uh, um, you know it is the season for AI going forward because. One of the things you have is you have a customer that is taking your software product or you bought a software product. Now you gotta give something more in return to that uh, particular person to enhance that productivity. And AI or, you know, natural language processing is one way to do it. You know, whether it's sales automation, whether it's uh, email, whether it's um, office, you can see any software package Microsoft has, um, this can enhance the productivity of that particular uh, application.
0: Anurag, the reports suggest that this transaction could value OpenAI at around 29 billion US dollars. I'd point out that both OpenAI and Microsoft declined to comment on the story, which, of course, is based on, on Bloomberg sources. Is this ChatGPT the next big development in global technology? Is this going to be the story of the year for your world?
2: No, I don't think it's just ChatGPT. I think it's a question of... Um, whether there are certain advancements in AI. You know, it could be natural language processing, it could be vision, it could be other areas as well. You know, what can you do with it in your normal day-to-day products? You know, it's not that they're going to sell this chat product to, you know, somebody uh, as, as a standalone thing. But let's imagine that you have a, uh, you're a salesperson and you're using Microsoft products to manage all your sales lead. And you walk into the office and the, and the system tells you that your highest probability of closing the deal today is these five people. And that's based on a lot of the emails, conversations, what's happening mm-hmm. outside. Um, all of those things can enhance the value of your your software, which then you're allowed to sell much more than, let's say, a, a competitor, whether it's Oracle, SAP, or Salesforce.
1: Really fascinating as to how this is going to be accretive. Anurag Rana, we thank you as always, Bloomberg Intelligence. Meanwhile, let's dig into whether this is a movement in terms of profitability, whether this is some sort of paradigm shift even. Nico Bonaccio is with us. He's managing director at General Catalyst. And you've been quoted as saying just that, Nico, talking about how this might be some sort of new, new mobile kind of paradigm shift, the move to AI, generative AI. Just talk to us about the opportunities you see.
3: Yeah, hi, excited to be here. AI has been a lot in the news lately for a few reasons. Uh, There has been a slew of big breakthroughs in the form of foundation models that combined with all the useful demos that we've seen recently, like ChatGPT or the profile picture generators, have literally captured the imagination of developers. This developer attention is always a great sign of an emerging ecosystem. We're seeing that all these models are now attracting also a different and a larger class of builders, more product people. All the previous generations of AI and ML systems before needed a lot of technical expertise Mm. that was mostly PhD students that were PhD folks that were working for really big companies in order to create anything useful. So now it's very much a question of imagination and OpenAI is one of the few companies that have been driving this wave of innovation, but we're still in the very early days. We at GC are seeing a lot of young technical Gen Z founders want to build product for themselves. And oh my God, one out of three of them that to our office or pitching us ideas
0: hey nico Cara and i have had a lot of fun with chat gpt in our spare time we get the use cases but i think we're kind of really interested in the business model and the valuation here right the reported valuation for open ai 29 billion dollars but the idea here right is that open ai licenses chat gpt and the underlying algorithms to developers as a venture capitalist why is this such an attractive potential investment
3: Look, I I can't comment, you know, on that particular, you know, transaction because I'm mostly spending my time on all things, you know, early stage. But AI is indeed the new tech paradigm that we've been waiting for after mobile, after cloud. um, And it's going to change everything that we know it. Hmm. Uh, It's now um, happening for two major reasons, you know. Uh, especially for all things generative AI, the output of these models can have very clear practical applications. If you're a creative person, for example, now you can have this set of super intelligence that can help you have ideas, speed up your work, and generally help you be more creative and productive. So you can see results right away. You can produce a new blog post, a new creative campaign with images really quickly and cheaply. Um, You can also interact with these AI models in natural language. So you don't need to learn some complex computer applications to use them, where you can be a game developer pretty much overnight.
1: Nico, what's so interesting is that look, Google and Microsoft, these companies are AI experts and they've dominated the field and certainly R&D in this space for a long time, but has it been sort of the PR headaches that in many ways generative AI has exposed them to in the past that has left a space for some of this really exciting startup culture to breed within AI?
3: Absolutely. So when you have like young founders who can now tinker with all these foundational AI models and it's a question of imagination, they're going to be able to uh, build whatever they have in mind. The youth live in the future in their heads and they're going to reinvent online dating. They're going to reinvent how they're going to do their homework. They're going to reinvent how to uh, build games. Um, if you work for a big company, It's really tricky to uh, build new products because at a minimum, you need to ask uh, your attorneys. A GC would believe in responsible innovation. That's our investment thesis. And we all invest, of course, in folks who have good ethics and integrity. This old way of like moving quickly and breaking things that was the era of building products in Silicon Valley in the past has come to an end. The right. new generation of founders really, you know, don't embrace that ethos.
0: Hey Nico, we just had thirty seconds here. What have you used ChatGPT for? What's your favorite use case?
3: My favorite use case yeah. uh, is to put together investment memos. Oh, it's like amazing! I, I have to do it. It's part of my job, and with. ChatGPT, I can do it in like three minutes. Nico, that's cheating. That's
0: incredibly pragmatic. We'll have you on again for a more robust discussion about how to best use ChatGPT. Nico Bonazos, Managing Director at General Catalyst, thank you very much. Gosh, you expect something a little more exciting. Coming up, (laughs) what's the future of meme stocks as Bed, Bath & Beyond catches attention? We'll discuss all this and more next with the CEO of the social platform for traders, StockTwits. This is Bloomberg.
4: In terms of a company that's teetering and probably going to go uh, over the bridge, I mean, there's one company that comes to mind. Uh, it's 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 Bed Bath and Beyond. I think that uh, you know they're not going to be around um, a year from now. I mean, they they have too much debt. They're they're irrelevant. Um, and uh, and and by the way, the housing market, like I said, is falling off a cliff, and that's not going to help them either.
1: Capital Markets analyst Anthony Chikumba there. Pretty grim about Bed Bath and Beyond, the fundamentals at least. Let's just take a look at the shares because despite the fundamental story where we're worrying about bankruptcy, you're actually seeing the company closing up 28%. Yes, it's just $2, but still 28%. And I mean, continues to really rally on the back of, well, meme stock investing. Is it back? Let's ask a man who knows. Rishi Kano is with us. He's the CEO of StockTwits. It's a real-time social network for investors and traders, 6 million users no less. And Rishi, we asked our own audience whether they think meme stock trading is back. And no. It would seem we put a poll out to Twitter and overall they said the trend is dead. What are you seeing in terms of a desire to be backing these meme companies again?
5: You know, I think uh, the trend when compared to the context of, you know, 2021 and the GameStop fiasco of early 21, you know, that 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 I don't think we'll ever see those kinds of craziness again. But, you know, the meme stocks, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond and others are very much still alive. And in, in the world of the trading and investing community that's quite active, uh, they're still there. Um, and, you know, alive and well might be aggressive. I mean, but these, you know, as we just saw in the segment there, Bed Bath & Beyond, there's a lot of questions of, whether it will be alive, uh, you know, they, they made their announcements last week around going concerns, and you know, with the wider than expected loss that they posted today, and, and kind of the missed revenue expect expectations, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, bearish sentiment around there. But you know, but the community is still actively talking about it. You know, from um, you know from our community, uh, the message volume, you know, in the last few days has been extremely high, um, and with meme stocks in general, the message volumes have retained for some. So you know, AMC still finished last year. 2022 um, as the number one most talked about stock on StockWits. It was number one in 2021 as well. Uh, So, you know, still around. um, You know, and and the conversations are still happening with these companies.
0: Hey, Rishi, good to see you. We're just showing some of the top stock tickers on your platform, AMC, and other kind of known meme stock, Tesla being another one. By the way, I love your jumper. It says for our audience, New York or nowhere. You just, sweatshirt, sweatshirt, sweatshirt. (laughs) here we go. Uh, We just talked about the energy on your platform, right? I look at the headline. When when do you ever get a headline that says X company headed for bankruptcy and you see a stock jump 28%. My question is, what is it that's driving the energy on your platform? Is it this herd narrative? Is it the idea that there are short sellers there? What is it that is actually causing volume of conversation?
5: Well, I I think it is the the volatility around it, right? It is the combination of those. So you have, you know, the short sellers and those that are, you know, fundamental investors and are telling us for all the reasons why, you know, Bed Bath and Beyond likely, you know, may not be around in a year from now. At the same time, you have those that, you know, uh, believe in, you know, look at the price action, believe in the opportunities, you know, and and get together and say, hey, you know, this is a company like they can reorganize, and you know, what value can we find in this? And and so the the debate, the conversation Conversation remains. There's passion around moving these, you know, today's move, we don't re- you know, really know like, I mean, hey, it was a pretty big move on a percentage basis today. Is that short covering, you know, from the lows of last week and the announcements of last week, right? Uh, you know, uh, and with the news finally coming out today, so sell on the news or cover on the news. So, you know, the conversation continues to happen and it's this, you know, discovery process between the bears and the bulls and while, you know, the bears are very strong right now and, and the sentiment around Bed Bath Beth- & specifically is extremely bearish yeah, uh, the conversation still happens the markets are alive right people are still trading it it's you know the volumes are there.
1: And they're cash tagging. I have to say I didn't realize it, it was you guys, it was StockTwits that came up with a, with a cash tag. I'm, I'm interested in, we talked sentiment, we talked particular names, what was so interesting in all the most active names on your platform was a lot of them were EVs, not just Tesla, but ones that are based out in Asia and Vietnam, some smaller known companies. Is the trend gonna be EV? Is it gonna be AI? Can you see the beginning, the pickups in certain narratives?
5: You know, we uh, we are, speaking of AI, right? And I just saw the segment on ChatGPT, fascinating, um, though I've also only used it for boring things thus far. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I think you, you look at that, and for us, actually, we're, that's an area that we want to invest in to try to help us understand better even all the data and the, and the content that we have underlying it. You know, we have our sentiment analytics and some of these other things, but you can definitely start to see trends, you know, maybe not far ahead but you know in some cases you know a, a little bit ahead of them what you know kind of the maybe mainstream media picks up on um, and you know EVs are a very interesting space because EVs. A lot of them went public through SPACs. SPACs have a large retail community around them, and so there's a lot of passion around the EVs. Obviously, you have Tesla, which is you know kind of the godfather of not only just all you know stocks, but the EV world. Mm. But yes. then, you, know, you have your Mullins and your Lucids, and you know uh, your Fiskers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know we have we have CEOs from them. Some of these, I believe, the CEO of Fisker is active on StockTwits. Um, but uh, you know these these companies have really robust Robust followings and highly engaged followings, maybe because they got in at the SPAC or maybe because, hey, I love Tesla and I hate Mullen or I love, you know, what, you know, the, the next, you know, product to come out of uh, Fisker. And so, you know, I think that's going to, you know, destroy Mullen or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, and so these are very retail driven stocks. I think just, you know, the genesis of a lot of them coming out of the SPAC world being very uh, retail driven. Um, and so you will continue to I do think in 2023, we'll continue to see a lot of conversation around the EV world. I think, you know, there's a lot of interesting things that are going to happen in the EV space. We're going to see if, you know, what happens with Tesla and and that's going to be a, I think, bellwether for the conversation there. But, um, uh, there, uh, I I don't know that AI has really made it into um, the kind of, public stock and public market zeitgeist right you know I, I don't know there's not a lot of companies you'd trade on
0: there well hey rishi when when that moment happens though come back on the show and, and let us know because we're trying to stay on top of trends and this is the new era of markets engagement that's rishi Khanna there ceo of the social platform StockTwits. it's not the only social platform in markets in the news we'll cover that later on thank you very much
2: Over the last three years or so, we've added $40 billion of organic revenue to that business. So there's tremendous growth. And in part, it's through innovation, and you articulated an example, a digital formulary, or the evolution of our virtual care capabilities and taking virtual care, not just to triage an urgent care event, but actually to coordinate behavioral health services or virtual primary care from that standpoint. So we see tremendous interest adoption for those services.
0: That was Cigna CEO David Cordani on expanding digital health services, part of an interview from JP Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco, which is well underway. Kaylee Lyons is on the ground braving the storms, wind, rain and hail. Is it like that in the conference room, Kaylee?
6: Well, it's very crowded in the conference room, Ed, I will tell you that much, and a lot of people walking in here with umbrellas and raincoats over the last several hours because the rain has been coming in sideways, but it's really noteworthy that there are so many people here in San Francisco in the middle of this storm. This is the largest in-person gathering of the healthcare industry we have seen in about three years, and that really speaks to this idea that the post-COVID world and what that digital health world really looks like is a key theme here at this conference, this idea that you have to have accessibility to healthcare remotely uh, in a more expanded way. And that also over the course of the pandemic, a lot of those physicians were dealing with burnout. What can you do from a technological innovation standpoint mm. to help providers in the industry, but also really just accelerate the industry going forward? And AI in particular oh, is a big
1: theme that has been talked about <laughs> over the last two days here. <laughs> of course it is. We've been talking about AI throughout the entire show. So uh, artificial intelligence is going to be front <laughs> and center in healthcare too. But what are the applications there, Katie, or, or what other areas of technology are being talked about?
6: Well, on the AI front, you are seeing some deals to help uh, existing companies accelerate their footprint uh, in that way. tech actually today announcing a $684 million deal to buy InstaDeep, which is a UK company uh, really based on AI. You're seeing some other deals actually taking shape as well. Granted, they're relatively small. We've only seen about a few billion dollars worth uh, announced over the course of this week, but this is still an industry that has been very starved for deals over the last year. In 2022, US healthcare companies had 43% fewer Deals announced than in 2021 for biopharma, it was the lowest in number since 2013. So we're really looking to see if there is kind of a pickup in that deal-making appetite in 2023.
0: Hey, Kaylee, I think I'm right in saying you spoke to the CEO of Novavax, right? What was the uh, what was the takeaway? <laughs>
6: Well, it's really for that company how they capture more share of the endemic market since during the pandemic they were a bit behind on their pure COVID vaccine. But we had an interesting conversation around pricing now that that is going to be shifted to the commercial market. Just take a listen to what he said about his expectations.
4: I think Pfizer and Moderna have set the stage, and I think they've set it at a reasonable level. If you look at what the cost-benefit analysis is for, for that type of pricing, Uh, I think it's reasonable, and and there's always a discount from that $120 to $130 range, and each company will find its own way.
6: So it's really going to be a conversation about what that private pricing looks like, frankly, what the appetite for COVID vaccines will still continue to be as we get further and further out from the most most acute stages of the pandemic and how these companies reinvent themselves in a post-COVID world as well.
1: Maybe an area we can, despite a recession, continue to be optimistic about sunny healthcare, so many applications. Bloomberg's Caney Lines, weathering it out there in San Francisco. We thank her for it. Stay well. Keep drying. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And one Ed Ludlow here Good too. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It is fun to be in the same place. And and I mean, all day we have been talking about one Microsoft potentially buying, well, not buying, but investing some $10 billion into open AI, of course, apparent to ChatGPT. But what about actual startup acquisitions? What about big deals? What about activity there? Now, actually, we know that it dropped. Venture-backed M&A dropped some 40% from 2021 to 2022. But there are glimmers of hope. And one Katie Roof wrote all about it for this Business Week, Katie. Just talk us through the thinking. So, IPOs kind of dead, but does that mean well we get a little bit more M and A in terms of exits?
7: Exactly. So, you know, as you know, venture capitalists can only make money in two ways. Uh, IPOs or M&A, those are the two primary types of liquidity events. And so the IPO window has largely been closed for over a year. And so that's going to put pressure on more companies to sell. Even Adobe Figma, which we broke the news of last year, they, they partly sold because there was no IPO window. It was a great price. They sold for $20 billion. That was more than double their last private value. But there was no alternative in the near term, and they knew that. And so we're going to see some deals that are going to sell maybe above their last private valuation. But what we're probably going to see a lot more of is companies recognizing that they have to sell for below their last private valuation. Valuations are obviously down significantly. There's no IPO window. And there's also you know a lot of investor skepticism about yeah. investing at the same prices as, as before. And so that will lead to that.
0: Hey, Katie. You and I were both in Vegas last week, very busy. You're very busy. You go to all the parties. You know who to talk to. (laughs) I kind of got a mixed picture, right? There is some opportunities that, that folks see in terms of deals that can get done. I guess when Caroline and I are talking to venture capitalists in particular, they talk about kind of seed stage as being an opportunity, for example, where you can make some bets in an environment like this. But what kind of deals, where do you expect activity to happen, at least in the first half of this year?
7: Sure. Certainly, investors who invest early are less phased by uh, the difficult exit environment because they have a longer-term um, outlook. But uh, for companies that um, are growth stage, they're going to have to be more open to uh, potential buyers. There's 1,200 unicorns on paper, and um, you know that, that's too many in this environment. And so we're going to see more consolidation. I'm hearing maybe fintech is going to see you know there's maybe too many payments companies, and they're going to have to consolidate. I always hear that about cybersecurity, and um, you know, I think we're going to see a few different types of startup acquisitions. We're going to see strategics recognizing they can get a lower price than maybe they could have last year or the year before for some of these companies. We're going to see um, you know unicorns buying each other, and then we're also going to see private equity firms buying private companies that are venture backed maybe they see slowed growth but they see some potential there to help fix them and and help them
1: grow into bigger businesses. Katie what has to happen though is that there has to be more of a meeting in the middle of I'm pretty sure last year there was a lot of money to be put to work and what Were many felt was cheap companies, but the founders aren't going to want to let go of their company at those sorts of valuations. What gets a founder there to realize that they have to take that price point? Is it ultimately that they've run out of runway?
7: Exactly. And I think that you're going to see more and more of that. I mean, certainly a lot of companies raised a lot of money in 2021 and 2020. And so some still have quite a bit of runway and they may not be feeling that pressure yet. But when companies start to look and say, oh, we, you know, have less than a year's runway, we're having trouble raising, then a bird in hand just looks attractive.
0: All right. Bloomberg's Katie Roof. It was good to hang out Thank you. Come back. More scoops, please. That's what we like. I think it's interesting because, Caro, you and I have had a range of voices on, right? We had uh, Equity Zen on 24 hours ago. Second half of this year, IPOs, but select names. You know, yeah. they kind of investors looking for some quality, you know, some some strong balance sheet revenue generating companies. Yeah. But there's still deals out there to be done. That's at least what the, the, the takeaway I get from Katie.
1: Let's hope that it's not all AI and that all we oh. do, every single show is going to be talking about artificial intelligence. I'm not going to knock it. Love a little. A little bit of sprinkling of AI, but it seems to be the dominant force at the moment, certainly from the, the deals we've been hearing about. And I do wonder where are the first areas to start to see that consolidation that Katie was just talking about, and indeed where the cracks are in the IPO market right. that is going to see a shard of light that was being talked about by equities then. And I thought what was really interesting about the conversation yesterday is the secondary market is still relatively yes. active. And look, there's still going to be a lot of people working for these companies that have life moments that need to be able to have a liquidity event right
0: and you know the secondary market can be a precursor to activity in the IPO market down the line and as Rishi said EVs that play is still popular I'm talking shop a little bit of course but Mm -hmm. maybe a big year 2023 let's talk crypto though it's not gonna be big Ed oh it's gonna be big Coinbase, just the latest company to announce another round of job cuts. Meanwhile, Gemini crypto exchange co-founder Cameron Winkelvoss is calling on the board of DCG to remove CEO Barry Silbert, accusing him of, quote, bad faith stall tactics. Best person for the job here. Bloomberg, Shanali Basak following these developments. Let's start with that accusation. Uh, what is this all about?
8: Uh, We've seen very open public letters from Cameron Winklevoss that addresses Digital Currency Group and Barry Silbert here. Remember, Genesis, the lending platform, was a partner for the Gemini Earn product. And remember, when it comes to that earned product, there are hundreds of thousands of retail investors that had exposure to that lending product here. So a lot of uh, things have gone wrong in the last couple of weeks. And now you have Cameron Winklevoss calling for Barry Silbert to step down as the CEO of DCG, really accusing him for a lot of bath- bad faith tactics, uh, really getting to the edge of accusing him of uh, misleading investors, really, for engaging in something that was fraudulent. Of course, we have DCG, importantly, also fighting back yeah. and saying that that this is also the Winklevoss uh, effort here to deflect blame over to DCG. And at the end of the day, what you have is uh, two counterparties here in a very difficult decision, both a bit difficult position, both on their own as well as together.
1: It's interesting, DCG were sort of saying, look, like, behind the scenes, the conversations are more productive, some, you'd hope, a little bit more cordial. But in public, it's an airing of grievances that's painful to see. What's been interesting is amid all this fallout, many looking to other areas of Barry Silbert's empire. To maybe be a place to take a bet, right? Can you just talk us about what's happening with Grayscale and some of the Bitcoin trust area?
8: For weeks now, maybe even months, really, there has been this really significant discount in the Grayscale trust. And there's this question about whether you could take over the Grayscale trust. There's a question of that's even simpler, is is it worth buying at these discounts? And has the meaning of the Grayscale trust really changed? Before, it was one of the most uh, significant institutional ways to get access to Bitcoin. Mm. And over time, it became a bigger bet on whether it would become an ETF approved by the SEC at some juncture. And if that doesn't happen, what then is the investment thesis and how does it change from that? Remember this has been a cash cow through the fee product, the fee pool for Digital Currency Group, but then you have to look at how much it becomes necessary for Digital Currency Group. We were talking about layoffs across the industry. Digital Currency Group, you have an open letter from Barry Silbert out to investors today. Fascinating to see him be public like this. Right. He's not all that public usually. We have not seen him out there on television or on Twitter all that much. Like we've seen some others. But he was talking about having to close down a wealth management subsidiary as well as cut costs aggressively the last couple of months, which makes a Grayscale even more important for him.
0: Right. Uh, cuts, layoffs, crypto, those are the headlines right now. Let, let's talk about Coinbase, another round of layoffs, the latest round of layoffs. What do we know about this particular round of layoffs?
8: You know, one thing to look at is how investors have reacted to it. They reacted very positively today. And not just investors. You have also sell-side analysts also reacting pretty positively towards this because they believe that it will cut expenses significantly enough for Well We see
0: it on the screen, right? The stock up 13% in the session on Tuesday, 30% over a two-day basis. So, you're right. Positive reaction.
8: Very positive reaction here. And the idea here is, will this help them reduce expenses enough to make it through through the rest of this crypto winter, this huge downturn, this downturn in trading volumes that we're seeing. Now the question then becomes for Coinbase and all of them is what does this mean for the product set that they're building? Mm. Uh, do they still are they able to remain competitive here and offer new innovative things when you're watching these uh, massive massive headcount reductions? Now interestingly, uh, one crypto trade publication uh, uh, has counted 27,000 cuts across the industry. Mm. So all in all, with well- what we've seen so far. So we really definitely have a, a lot of pain out there. And at the, if hundreds of people over at Coinbase, in addition to hundreds before, the reality of it is even places that are growing. You take Galaxy Digital, they cut 15% of their headcount. They think they're going to end up gaining a lot of that back through acquisitions later. Mm-hmm. So what do these cuts really mean in terms of how they build through this cycle?
1: Well said, Shunali Basak. And a quick disclosure that my husband is a senior manager over at Coinbase. But let's talk about perhaps the movement of talent within this at the yeah. moment. End because what's so interesting is that while many in fintech crypto lose their jobs, there are areas in which maybe they could find a headhunter in the future, and not the most usual places. Or the this one you'd expect. Liquidity, which is I'm pretty sure most people in FinTwitter, as it's known, financial Twitter, follow it. It's a massive digital media company, basically set up by an ex-Wall Street guy or girl. We
0: don't know, anonymous anonymously. Person. right? But
1: they're now getting into the world of, well, jobs, right? Headhunting. Right.
0: So, unsurprisingly, one of the best-read stories of the day, Liquidity partnering partnering with Whitney Partners, yeah. kind of classic headhunter. You know, what's so interesting? You know, we talked about crypto schnali, job cuts, pay. What Liquidity has done is amazing. You yeah. know, they get fed information by everyone working in finance about openings, salaries, raises, and they've kind of taken that and said, well, how do we move it forward? It's an astonishing platform. It it is very ridicule and meme and satire focus, but if all these people are being laid off and they're looking for a job, is liquidity now an option?
1: And it just also speaks to the growth of where you can take what is a social media a startup. I mean, I mean it literally is a
0: social media startup. Yeah, I mean, then uh,
1: becomes a digital media company. I mean, the founder has gone into angel investing, but notably is now thinking, how can I continue to expand? How can I serve this particular community of junior bankers? Many of them are junior, looking for expertise. And they said, well, it was the adverts digital advertising that people kept coming to particularly around fostering their own skill base being able to upskill being able to find out what the view on jobs and how to in, enhance their own experience so it looks as though millennials but also mainly gen z are looking not just to linkedin for networking when it comes to a job but to instagram and to social media more broadly
0: yeah and you know i'm a follower stock another platform don't yeah. put us out the job please come on So I want to take a look at some of the tech names that rely on advertising for revenue. Right, 2022, this kind of pivotal year where we had the war in Ukraine that dented the confidence of advertisers in Europe. We had changes in the industry. Elon Musk buys Twitter, and you can see on the chart behind me the kind of state of play for what analysts think we end 2022 in in terms of sales. Of course, we're waiting for those earnings reports from the last three months of the year, but we're also thinking about how market share might change, how the world of advertising has changed because consumer trends have changed. This is data from Bloomberg Intelligence, forecast for 2022, on kind of where market share lies. Alphabet largely through Google search, but don't forget YouTube kind of dominates in that tech space, away from traditional tech. This data excludes China, by the way, where there are many other players when it comes to search and domestic products. Then you look at Meta, that comes up a big second. Well, is that gonna change? There are names out there on Wall Street that see Meta as a top pick for 2023 because we're coming off a low base and we might see a rebound. And then there's the optimists that look at Amazon and say that's a sleeping giant when it comes to ads. I think it's really interesting to take this as an inflection point, 2022 to 2023, because that's the snapshot of the year as a whole. But what we know in those final three months of the year going into the first half of this year, that data, Caro, is changing. And actually, we might see some new names emerge and some legacy names suffer as the advertising space changes.
1: And the advertising space so richly changing in terms of players, not only with, well, the TikToks, which keep on taking market share, but also the fact that TV's getting into the space, the Netflix of this world, some other key advertising space that Amazon's now owning. And please say, a great story written by Alex Barinka is on .com and on the terminal today. Sarah Fryer, of course, one of the key tech editors, going to join us to talk through all of this and the movements within Meta and other various other social players today. Just talk to us about the changing of the garden, how much people are anticipating this for 2023.
9: Well, for the first time in 2022, we've seen that Meta and Google together are less than half of the overall digital ad market, according to Insider Intelligence, and that has not happened since 2015, and they, they expect that share to continue to erode as we go into 2023 and beyond, and that's due to a number of factors. You mentioned the the rise of, of more options on TV and with e-commerce players like Amazon, and I should mention and Walmart as well, um, but it's also because of some of the challenges in the market. Um, beyond the skittishness due to Ukraine and other economic factors, you've got the fact that their ads simply aren't as effective anymore because Apple has instituted some some tracking changes so that they can't get as much, uh, as much personal information to target those ads effectively. So the same ads are not as useful to advertisers, so they've been looking for elsewhere to put their money. Um, so so that's been really difficult for these big players, um, who at the same time are under under scrutiny by regulators, uh, especially for antitrust and yeah. um, privacy. So it's it's going to be different going forward. They may not be this this big scary duopoly that the regulators have been telling us about for so long. Um, that share may erode, and we may see
1: players like Amazon and Netflix and TikTok take up more. You were just talking about sort of the data that a lot has sort of disappeared from the likes of Meta, the ability to track certain people given Apple's changes. But also there's some self-regulation going on perhaps as well as to who they target, how they target them. There's a great piece by Kurt Wagner today about teenagers' gender and whether or not that can still be thought of as a data piece for advertisers and marketers. and, And now they're not going to be able to look at that.
9: Well, is trying to improve the way that it, it manages teens on the platform after, after a, a lot of scrutiny. We've heard a lot about mental health online um, and how Instagram in particular has been affecting teen mental health. So they, uh, in, in part because of a lot of this pushback from advocates and regulators, they have been reducing the ad targeting capabilities for teens. So gender is one of those categories, they also um, m- reduce the ability to target teens based on their past behavior. And, and that's all a... a- an attempt to try to make their internet experience a little bit safer. Uh, and they didn't go directly into whether there was a particular catalyst, but I really think that it's been a theme for Meta over the past few years that they realize that the, the way that young people are, um, are operating on their app is a matter of, of great concern to, to parents and regulators and they need to do something about it.
0: All right, leading our big tech coverage out of San Francisco, Sarah Fryer, thank you so much. Now, coming up, what happened at England's first space launch? The UK's first space launch had a mid-flight mishap. Smooth takeoff, You can see it there. We'll explain more. Trust me, that's all next. This is Bloomberg.
1: What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done.
4: Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time.
1: Going viral, perhaps for a negative reason today, because Richard Branson's Virgin Orbit, well, it fell in terms of share price some 20%. That's after the company's first launch out of the United Kingdom failed to reach said Orbit that it has in its name. And we can talk to the reasons why and why everyone was therefore searching it on Google and seeing it trend on Twitter. It's Bloomberg's Lauren Grush. She covers space for us. And clearly the share price speaks a lot of words here. It did not go as planned.
10: No, it did not, and you know, unfortunately, it's, it did look as if it was going to go as planned. The way that Virgin Orbit launches, it's not what you typically think of as a rocket launch, where the rocket takes off from the ground. They do an air launch style. So, what they, how they get into space, they have a 747 modified plane called Cosmic Girl, which carries their rocket launcher one underneath its wing. That plane took off as planned from Spaceport space Cornwall. It reached its uh, intended drop zone. It reached the target altitude for dropping the rocket. And then it ignited that engine. Everything looked fine. And then something happened mid-flight. We don't exactly know what yet But it didn't reach orbit. It did make it to space, but not to orbit.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was supposed to be a key moment for the UK space industry, right? Cornwall, New Key, it's like the surf mecca for for the UK. The UK was ready. The UK Space Agency, which I imagine hasn't been that busy for a while, was sort of really excited. What has the response from from the company been? Because this was only their sixth attempt at launching with the Boeing 747 mechanism, right? Four successes, Mm -hmm. but this is their second failure. I'm trying to understand what went wrong
10: i think we're all kind of trying to understand it uh as well i think we as the company has stated something went wrong during the second stage booster ignition um and if you were watching the live stream last night there was some funky data coming in uh, it looked as if the rocket was trending in a wrong direction however the livestream hosts were uh, saying that everything was going well the social media the twitter account was tweeting out that oh, they had yes. actually reached orbit but then we learned you know that was a premature tweet and they yes. actually ended up deleting that tweet once they found out that that was incorrect so it's still really unclear what happened all we know is that the all nine payloads were lost and uh, they're going to be doing an investigation to really figure out what happened.
0: Hey, Lauren, irrespective of of the failure, what was 2023 due to be for for Virgin Orbit in the UK? Were there any kind of big milestones they were hoping to hit?
10: Well, they were definitely looking to uh, increase their flight cadence for sure. That's one of the benefits that they tout with this air launch method is that they're able to be more flexible in where they launch from all they really need is you know the right runway and then they can and the right airspace and they could potentially launch from a number of new locations plus this was the first time they had launched outside of their normal uh, launch facility in the mojave california so it was a big it and and you know because of the the national yes. pride associated with it there was a a lot of a big spotlight on this launch but so unfortunately a lot of people did see it go awry right. so it's unclear if virgin orbit is going to be able to expedite its launches as it as it intended. However, it did only make it to orbit twice last year, so it's not a a high bar to clear.
0: Yeah, a lot of dashed hopes, I'm afraid. Bloomberg Space Reporter, Lauren Grouch, thank you very much, Caroline.
1: Yeah, I mean... A knock for anyone in Cornwall. We still love you. Meanwhile, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. We Wednesday, Ed, we've got some great conversations. We're diving into crypto that little bit more. Solana's head of strategy can going to be here in the studio.
0: Hey, hit our podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple. This is Bloomberg.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Paul
10: Langham, and I'm Skip Bronson.